Jumeirah International Hotel brand. You actually launched that brand because of course your background is, is in fact in marketing. And yes, people were spending $25,000 a night easy. I just have to stop you and ask you, what was the room service delivery to Michael Jackson? Hello, my name is Renee Leith Manos. Welcome to this podcast, Where To From Here? Featuring conversations about luxury travel and how it's changing in every pocket of the globe. to the show it is fantastic to be speaking with you and we speak to people and hotel gms all around the globe and many of those people are saying the future of luxury travel at least for now is here in asia now you're a scotsman what do you have to say about that well i would certainly say asia is a fantastic place i've been here for many many years of my life and Southeast Asia continues to offer new and wonderful spots for people to explore. But, you know, it's not just Southeast Asia. The, if, if we look at uh, what's happening within our own company, Mandarin Oriental Worldwide, you know, luxury leisure is starting to blossom and flourish in all spots across the globe. We, we have a wonderful, so many wonderful places to go to in this world today of beauty. But for us, Southeast Asia, and particularly Indonesia, as they develop the five new Bali projects, is exciting to see how we're going to develop tourism here. So Southeast Asia, for sure, but not exclusively. And what are those projects in Bali? Can you tell us a little bit about them? Well, it's not it's, it's not in Bali as such. Bali, of course, is, as you well know, you could say the shop window for Indonesia uh, for international tourism. But really, in terms of international tourism, around other parts of the archipelago it's not it doesn't flourish to the same extent as bali so what they're looking for are new sites or new spots to attract international tourism so we can not just look at bali but we look at other areas around indonesia i think it's a great strategy it's going to take patience and time and infrastructure to get it right but i think there's still immense opportunities for international tourism leisure tourism for this country but look, you've worked in the UK, China, Hong Kong, the Middle East. I've probably left out locations. What's the difference between working in and running luxury hotels in, in each different region? Um, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's, you can say guest expectations of luxury uh, and delivery of service in different parts of the world differ. Um, and for Asia, of course, Asia is renowned for this uh, seamless, uh, serene service, uh, service from the heart, legendary service from the heart, we call it here at Mandarin Oriental, which of course we want to offer anywhere in the world. Um, and at the end of the day, it's managing the expectation of your customer, of your guests, what their levels of expectation are when they visit a hotel, what country they're in, and also the reason for their travel as well. Is it leisure? Is it business? Is it family? Is it romance? It's meeting the expectations of those guests and delivering service that meets their needs. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And, and certainly, you know, I've recently stayed in your beautiful hotel and that was absolutely my experience. But of course, you have worked for a number of luxury brands all over the world. And I wanted to ask you about the Superlux 
Jumeirah International Hotel brand. You actually launched that brand because, of course, your background is, is in fact, in marketing. Mm, that's right. Um, <laughs> I was part of the launch. I was one of the team. Sure. And it was, of course, it was a fabulous opportunity. I mean, I started my career with Intercontinental Hotels. And uh, in 10 years with Intercon, I worked in seven hotels in three continents, all in sales and marketing positions. And of course, when you're young and uh, free and single, of course, <laughs> what a life, you're moving all the time. And then the opportunity came up with, uh, actually it was called Chicago Beach. It wasn't called Jumeirah in those days. And uh, I was approached for this job to do the marketing and launch of the Jumeirah Beach Hotel. Uh, I don't think I was the first person on the list, but anyway, I was the one that got the job. And, uh, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Yeah, that's all that matters. And, and what a journey. I mean, you know, I remember arriving in Dubai on a flight from Thailand and uh, arriving in my apartment and looking out over yonder to the Burj Al Arab, which was half built, and Jumeirah Beach Hotel was just about ready to open. And, you know, I mean, these were just spectacular properties. I mean, awe-inspiring. And my job was to launch them. Were you scared? I mean, that's a big task. <laughs> that's not the word I'd use, but um, what a journey. Um, and but it's not, it wasn't me, it was uh, it's brand Dubai. And we were all part of that journey. And it was extremely exciting. And remember these properties were built uh, to promote the destination. Um, Burj Al Arab was the, if you like, the Eiffel Tower, the uh, Sydney Opera House. Um, it was, the brief was draw, draw something in a napkin in five seconds that everyone will recognize. And of course, that was the, the sale, the Dow, the Burj Al Arab. You know, that hotel was originally going to be built on the land, on land. And right. the, architects, the architects said to the owner, um, this will cast a shadow on the beach of Jumeirah Beach Hotel. What do we do? And the owner said, well, what, what are you suggesting? And they said, put it in the sea. And there you have it, 280 meters offshore. offshore. The decision was made in the space of 60 seconds. Incredible. Incredible. That's, that's incredible. But don't you think, I mean, you know, in the Middle East at that time, and even now, they're not afraid of anything. And they're just owning it. As you said, they, crea they created a, you know, a brand Dubai. And they're doing it with this next city, right, that's coming up. Yeah, that's right. And they have, I mean, you know, Think about it, if, if in those days in 97, we launched Jumeirah Beach in 1997, Emirates was starting to grow, not to the size it is today, of course, but you know, you have your airline, you have your hotels, you know, you are, you're, you're in control of the entire uh, portfolio, transportation, hotels, arrival experience, you know, and, and it does make it, um, when I say easier, I think I, I'll be careful when I say that, it, we were all working extremely hard to drive the credibility and awareness of, of the destination. I often went to the States on business trips to promote the destination. People didn't know where Dubai was in those yeah. days. It was just the Middle East. Now, if you spoke to a taxi driver in New York, they knew where it was because they used to go home once a year to see their family in, of course, the subcontinent. So um, yeah, incredible times. Uh, and, and what, when you look back, what do you attribute to the success of Jumeirah? Because it's been massively successful. We had a clear direction in where we wanted to go with the brand, particularly in Dubai at the time, because we hadn't we hadn't looped further afield in those days. We were getting those uh, world uh, class properties off the ground and launched. So 
the team that Gerald Lawless built up um, around uh, these properties and the service delivery and how we implemented our own culture of service. Because remember, we were employing people from every other brand to work under the Jumeirah uh, flag. So what was our brand? What was our brand of service uh, in Jumeirah Beach, in Burj Al Arab, in Wild Wadi, in the Emirates Towers, and keeping the team aligned to deliver that service? And I believe we did deliver, and they still do deliver world-class service. So we weren't, uh, it wasn't a gimme. There was a lot of hard work to get this thing off the ground. The other point, which of course people don't uh, remember, or don't, or why would they remember, is you know, we took over the management in the summer of 97, and we launched Jumeirah Beach in December 97. There was no business on the books. It, to me, um, you know, I've always been attracted to luxury hotels because to me it's a little bit like theatre, like you described. You know, there's there's the on-stage presence, which, of course, is what the guests all see, but there's so much going on in the back room behind. And I know, you know, you kindly sent me your resume, which was just an incredible and insightful read of just the challenges, you know, that are not so glamorous that a general manager has to deal with. It's quite extraordinary, really, and it's quite a tough job. Look... I've, my career journey has never really taken the, um, the most obvious route, if you like. I don't think I've taken any wrong turns. I look back and uh, uh, with great um, fondness to my experiences, but I've never taken the obvious jobs, that's for sure. Uh, and it all comes back down to people. And I hate to, it's a, it's a bit of a cliche, but I'm sorry, it is, it is what it is. And uh, many, many years ago when... I was working for Intercontinental. My first general manager was a gentleman called Patrick Board. And in those days, Intercontinental, they streamed you fairly early on. I was a graduate with Intercon. They streamed you into what area you wanted to go into. So, which property are we talking about? Which one do you This, this was the Mayfair, one? the Mayfair Intercontinental in London, mm-hmm. Stratton Street, the, the home of the stars. All the movie stars stayed there. So for a young lad from Scotland, from Glasgow. Absolutely. You know, I, I just have to stop you and ask yeah. you, what was the room service delivery to Michael Jackson? I think it was. Oh, <laughs> oh, was it to Michael or was it to Bubbles? Um, <laughs> I can't remember. But he wasn't. Oh the, no! He wasn't the only one. Well, I tell you. Well, I, what I will tell you is that uh, in those days, I was a trainee in room service, and my boss, my supervisor. This is night shift. My supervisor was a chap called Paul Clark, who's head of human resources from Mandarin Oriental Hotel Group Worldwide. And unbeknown to me, I forgot, Paul said that our night chef was Gordon Ramsay. Wow. <laughs> so Did he have you. a temper? Did he have a temper back then? Or was that I something that he I'm developed? I can't getting into that conversation. And this t- <laughs> I don't no, think- but he's famous for it. He's not ashamed of it. <laughs> well, and then I had, I had Jamie Oliver when we, when we took over the Carlton Tower in London in uh, 2001. He was running, he was a guest, a celebrity chef at Monty's, our nightclub. But, you know, so, so going back to the, the people aspect, if I may, I mean, it may not be of interest, but no, going back to the people aspect, when, uh, when I was working with Jumeirah, of course, I, 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 I was enjoying sales and marketing, but I, I was also quite keen to get into operations. And I never really worked in operations. And uh, my boss, yeah. Gerald Lawless, said, well, listen, you know, I'll give you London. Fantastic. What a start in London. Yeah. And I mean, that, that was, um, you know, you need to be real. Yeah. Another thing as a GM, I think you need to have is be real and be sincere. Because good people 
see it and they feel it and they respond to it. So with that, I remember that we did a campaign and we offered every employee of the Carlton Tower in London and Lands an opportunity to go to Dubai for a week. Wow. Okay. We did a deal with my friend at uh, Emirates Airline in London, £100 return ticket. And they could stay in a Jumeirah property for a week and they could meet Jumeirah colleagues in Dubai and they could see the properties and they could say, right, this is the company I now work for. That was very clever. What a great idea. And yeah, so it was, um, <laughs> we were some very happy people. And Andy, did you live in at a lot of the hotels when you managed them from time to time? I lived in a hotel in London, yes. I, I lived in, in, in the Carlton Tower in the middle of London on Sloan Street, Cadogan, Cadogan Gardens. It sounds glamorous, but you know, you're, you're on the shop. Mm. And uh, it was, um, and here actually, in fact, this hotel, I, I, I lived in this hotel for the first six months I came to Jakarta. But that's pretty much it. I, I now live 10 minutes away from the Mandarin Oriental Jakarta and I ride my bike to work. My oh. night to work every morning and every night in the rain and the shine. And there's plenty of rain at the moment. <laughs> Certainly is, yeah. Well, getting back to Asia, does the concept portrayed in the famous film Crazy Rich Asians actually exist? Are there, is there an Asian market just looking for that super luxury product and that super luxury travel experience? Yes, definitely, definitely. I wouldn't say we get a great deal of it here in Jakarta. Uh, we do in, in terms of some of our functions and our banquets and our events, but in my experience, having worked in uh, other properties in other parts of Asia, for sure. Um, my time at Sanivakiri uh, on the island of Kokud uh, in Thailand, we um, had 31 villas there. And yes, people were spending $25,000 a night easy to come. Wow. And we would fly them down on our planes from Bangkok to our landing strip, take them in our speedboats to... Suniva Kiri Resort, which was spectacular. I mean, nestled in the most stunning landscape on this island, the fourth largest island uh, in Thailand. And, uh, you know, yes, the, the, it, it was, uh, it was the, there was no second thought. And particularly in, in high season, you would have families that would spend anything up to $250,000 for the holidays. Wow. You know, so uh, Asians, and of course, not just Asians, Europeans, mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. So what are the hallmarks of the Mandarin Oriental brand? I mean, having worked for so many luxury brands yourself, what differentiates MO, as it's fondly known by many, um, from the others? Our uh, legendary service from the heart, uh, which I've referred to before, which is right across the group, I think is, is incredibly important to the DNA of the, the, the company, how we treat our people, um, how we induct our people, how we retain our people uh, is a crucial part of what we are. Um, and again, I use the word real. We, 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 we're not fatty. We're not, uh, I don't say trendy is the wrong word. We, it's consistency, it's real, it's luxury wherever you go. And luxury in terms of service and delivery of service. Uh, it's hard to define because at the end of the day, every group has their, has their, their vision, their mission, et cetera. And, and what, what, what is the, what's the essence? What's the smell? What's the taste? I think definitely the Asian heritage is something that we've always had at Mandarin Oriental and that wrapped up in legendary quality or, le or legendary service from the heart uh, is something we keep coming back to all the time, all the time.
And Andy, how about you? When you travel these days, where do you like to travel to and is luxury your priority? Luxury for my wife and I is a good golf course. Wow. <laughs> and she's, she's better than me at golf, which is a bit annoying. But we also have a young family. So, you know, facilities, family facilities, very important to us. The days of turning uh, left when we get on the aeroplane have stopped for the moment. We're down at the back. But, you know, that's great. We're having fun. So no, we're we're not. I'm not necessarily seeking seeking three three Michelin star restaurants or the biggest suites when we travel, but I never lose sight of that. And I love luxury and I love good things. I love great service. I love service from the heart, and that comes in all forms and in all shapes and in all sizes. Uh, so that little hut uh, in Lombok, yeah, with the lovely beach and the golf course 15 minutes away on the motorbike. That's pretty nice too, yeah. Gorgeous. And what's your favourite Mandarin Oriental property? Bangkok. I have not been to that property. Bangkok, Thailand. I mean, Tha- Tha- Indonesia is closest to my heart. Thailand's a very close second. We have a home in Bangkok as well, my wife and I. So we have other other ties. Forgive the pun. Um, so Bangkok's still a spectacular property. But you know, at the at the end of the day, going into the London property. Uh, the wonderful smells when you go into Hong Kong. No, it's 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 very rich. It's uh, uh, we, we've got we're blessed. We've got a wonderful brand. We've got wonderful owners, and we've got wonderful people. Yeah, fantastic. And look, I could talk to you all day. I'm sure we'll have lunch at some stage and talk some more. But for now, where to from here for you, Andy? Down to the lobby to meet my boss, who's arriving oh. in about 45 minutes. Why not? It's been wonderful speaking with you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks very much. Nice to see you. And keep in touch. Take care. Okay. Bye, Andy. Bye. 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 Don't forget to subscribe here and follow us on Instagram and Facebook for regular travel updates. You can also hear our episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.